it's a problem of lack of education. We've got to re-educate the communities to say, hey, you can find some things that can sustain you at these terrible stores, these terrible little convenience stores, while we also work to bring you what you need. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 205. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio, Veggie Lovers. You're gonna love this episode with Don Hilton Williams. But before I tell you more about her, I just wanna remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a healthcare professional. So if you have concerns about you or anybody in your family's eating nutrition or growth, please consult a doctor. All right, this episode is really great. A few episodes ago, I shared with you my talk that I gave at the Harvard Black Students Association. I can't remember exactly what the name of their association was, uh, Black Veganism. And I had to do a lot of research to put that talk together. In the process of learning more about those issues, I found Dawn through a mutual colleague. And I'm so glad I did because she is just amazing. And I've learned a lot from her. So she gave me resources to check out when I was putting that talk together. And she really has the experience and the wisdom because she's worked in these communities and she knows how it how it is. She knows how it goes. So I, I think you're gonna learn a lot from listening to this episode. So let me tell you more about Don Hilton Williams. Vegucator in chief of Herbin Eats LLC, Don Hilton Williams is the author of Flava My Plate, Your Tasty Vegan Guide to Health Wealth, a vegan chef, event producer, food justice activist, and corporate and community vegucator. Recently awarded a $10,000 economic impact grant from Beyonce's Be Good Foundation, Don and the Herbin Eats brand is committed to the mitigation of food apartheid in communities disproportionately impacted by chronic disease through direct in-community programs, products, and service interventions. Converting personally and professionally to a vegan lifestyle in 2017, Don holds a certificate in plant-based nutrition from T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies e. Cornell, a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from Virginia State University, is mentored by Milton Mills, MD, and has cooked professionally for over 25 years. And you get to hear all the stuff she loves to cook and eat, and it is mouthwatering. I can't wait to meet her in person and eat her food. Basically, what I want to do is meet a lot of people when I interview them as experts and then just go around the country and have them feed me. My dream come true. So if you wanna feed me some delicious plant-based vegan food, just let me know, I'll come over 
and eat your food. And I'll probably love it very much. So thank you very much. So in this episode, we talk about her journey to plant-based nutrition, how she got there, if she found it difficult at all. We talk about food apartheid. We talk about food deserts, food swamps. I ask her a controversial question, whether promoting veganism is elitist. So you have to listen to the episode to hear her answer. And then how we can be advocates, what she recommends we do to advocate for communities of color. And then we finish up with talking about what she likes to cook and eat, more about how she got the grant she did and her number one tip for busy moms and women of color as they navigate feeding their families. It's an amazing episode, lots of pearls of wisdom. I love her personality, her energy, her passion, and I hope that you will connect with her on social media and support her work. Now, let us welcome Don Hilton Williams to Veggie Doctor Radio. Don Hilton Williams, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you for inviting me, Dr. Yami. I just love your style and I love your education, what you do. So I just appreciate being on the show. Thank you. Well, I am so glad that I found you, found each other through a mutual friend, mutual colleague. Mm -hmm. And I found you right at a time where I needed to find you too, because I'm just starting to explore some of the issues that we're going to talk about. And I feel like mm-hmm. I have a lot to learn still. So I'm grateful for you, grateful for the work that you do. But before we get into some of that work, let's start from the beginning. Tell me about your journey into plant-based nutrition. How did you get to be here? Yeah, because I, I I was a, a, a true carnivore or omnivore. This wasn't something that I had in the plan. You know, I wasn't. So my husband had a health scare. You know, and, and sometimes it's good to come in on the health side, apparently. Uh, I think it's better for the sustainability of the of it. My husband had a couple of heart flutters, and that was very concerning to me because my father had um, a heart attack. I died of a massive heart attack after having some other complications and things, and I found him. So it was very triggering and traumatizing for me to find out that my husband was having flutters. So we went to the cardiologist, you know, after going through the process of, you know, getting your referral. And they, but you know what they did the whole time, Dr. Yami? They looked at watches. They were comparing their chronometer. I'm like, is this, are you all serious? They weren't really taking it. The cardiologist was kind of jokey and, and he was jokey. And I'm like, I'm triggered. I'm just <laughs> thrown off. I'm like, so this is a joke to you guys? And I was a chef, a vegan chef. And no, I wasn't a vegan chef. I was an organic and grass-fed or eco-friendly chef. So I didn't know that the food I was, I was eating, making a lot of eggs, a lot of, high cholesterol things for corporate events. I was actually killing this man. So after he had to wear the device for two days, you know, the little wraparound band that a cardiologist to make you wear to, to monitor the heart. Of course, it's like when you take your car to the shop, Dr. Yami, nothing happened. So there was no, nothing. So about three weeks after that, three or four weeks, uh, he had blood in his stool, my husband, for three weeks. So immediately, what did I think, Dr. Yami? You already know, I was thinking, cancer, colorectal yes. cancer, mm-hmm. pro- prostate cancer, some kind. I was, I literally, I'd already seen Fort Silver Knives. I'd get, taken a moment to try to do it. And I was like, ah, but I have a business. This is, this works, but eh, I don't want to do it. I'm okay. I'm super healthy. Everything's grass fed and organic. I hadn't done any research beyond the movie. And uh, uh, I just threw everything away. All the butcher wraps, expensive food, all the, I just went downstairs and literally threw everything in the trash once he revealed to me that he had this issue. So that's how, um, and of course it was polyps. It, it, we went to a, a, you know, 
and, and, and got went to the gastro and got the testing. And um, it was just, it wasn't what we thought it was, but it was scary enough for me to say, we're done with this. This yeah. is stupid. I'm not doing this anymore. So we, I went and signed up, found online the whole food plant-based um, course that Alfred at eCornell, mm-hmm. Dr. Colin Campbell's course, d- did deep dive into that in 30 days. Uh, and the, we stopped eating meat right then. I was done. No meat, no dairy. I was a deep dive. So that's how we kind of got into it. And I just did a, went to a bunch of plant-based conferences that had continuing education units. I didn't want to go to VegFest. I didn't want to do those because those weren't educational. Yeah. I just wanted to learn everything. Yes. That's how I kind of got here. My business went kaput like Titanic for a minute, <laughs> but but everything else worked out. And now I'm, I'm, now I'm talking to you. Yeah. So, how long ago was good. that? 2017, probably the summer of 2017. Wow. So you're still pretty fresh on your journey. You started kind of cold turkey, all or nothing approach. How did it feel those first few days and weeks? Were you missing the meat and the eggs and the dairy? Or were you so focused on the new lifestyle that it it didn't really matter? Because I was triggered by the health and the um, trauma of my father finding him um, in that very terrible situation. And because, uh, I wasn't at all missing any of it. I, I was a chef. I mean, I already did food. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just had to figure out how to make sides, main mains. Yeah. And that wasn't very difficult for me because I did enjoy vegetables, but I, I, again, it was just a little bit of a learning curve on the food, but not very much because I did, I cooked all the time. I, and I lost 95% of my business right away. Cause I told them I would no longer be serving meat and dairy. And I had a corp, I gave my corporate 30 days. Um, cause I still had stuff at the commercial kitchen, but at my weekly clients for my meal preppers, I told them no more that following week. And they literally dropped like wow. flies. Um, and so, so, um, no, I, I, I just, I had a lot of time, a very small income for the business, but for the year, but I took an entire year and deep dived. I read every book, Colin Campbell, Dr. Neil Barnard, uh, Dean Ornish. I mean, Michael Greger uh, looked at every video Dr. Mills had. I literally went to the conference and met all these doctors, Kim Williams. I mean, Dr. Clapper. I literally was like a, wanting to be in medical school at that point. I was like, That's I'm awesome. just going to learn everything. You were on a so mission. I missed nothing. <laughs> I was on a mission to, because I said, this happens in families every day, especially in our community. Mm-hmm. So I was ready to, I didn't, I had no regrets. Um, I, I, I started off from a plant, whole food plant-based mindset and, um, you know, and I didn't look back. How about your husband? What was he thinking during this journey? Um, so we had already kind of played with it, you know, a few, uh, prior because of the course over knives. Um, he was fine with it because I made all the food anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, did he like that I threw away hundreds of dollars of meat? Not initially, but when I took that Cornell course, I invited him in when I was taking the e-Cornell course and it was, I was able to play back some of the, the clips, um, and share with him some of the environmental impacts and the damage that it does not just to your body, but to our children's, what we're leaving behind for them. He was uh, appalled. Wow. He was very on board. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have any, I had a smooth transition. That's awesome. That's great. Is there anything mm-hmm. that you still miss from your omnivore days? No, I'm such a good chef. I had to. I hate to toot my own horn, but I'm so good. <laughs> I love no, it. I, if anything, if I if I want to treat, if I want to treat myself to something like an oyster mushroom thing, I'll do a treat. You know, uh, I'm not whole food plant based. No oil. 
Uh-huh. Um, but I do suggest that for those who have heart disease, I have mm-hmm. clients that are in disease. So when I have clients in disease, I act accordingly with their um, needs and, and respond, you know, and advice. But um, when I want to treat, I treat myself, but I don't do those. Um, like I'm not into the beyond or the impossible. I'm not trying to name out. I, I'm not into any of those. Mm-hmm. I think they're too highly processed. But if I want to hook up a mushroom or, or do something savory, I'll just add, I know, I know about calling the mock and all the, black salts. I know how to really work with flavor. So I don't have to, I'm a cookbook author. Now I'm good. I love it. That's the best. Uh, But (laughs) you know, that's a great, great place to be where you feel empowered. Like you're like, no, I don't miss anything. But I think what you're Mm -hmm. also saying is that when it comes to food, what we like about it is flavor. What we like about it is texture. It's not that we have to have the animal muscle in there. It's just how can right. we replicate what we like to eat as humans with plants? And we can do that. You, what you're saying is you have the skills. You can get that satisfaction from plants because you know how to manipulate the plants. You know how to combine them. You know how to use the spices and the seasonings. And then you're you're satisfied, right? Absolutely. You're 100% right. And anybody can do it. It's like um, Ratatouille. Not, not Ratatouille. It's that movie with the mouse. Yeah, Ratatouille. Um, Anyone can cook. Yes. Was that the name of the movie? Ratatouille. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's a food too. And it's a vegan food. And, and yes. that's that. So it's like ratatouille. Anyone can cook. Anyone can do this. It's just that we had to re-educate. We had to educate. That's why I'm the educate. We had to educate and rem- remember that it's not that hard. It is all about the flavor. Um, it, with, I mean, t- meat tastes like nothing. Fish has no taste. Chicken has no taste. If you did it with no seasonings, it would not taste like anything. Um, tofu has taste because we season it. You know. Uh, all of it is just about that. You're 100% right. That's beautiful. I love it. Well, I want to come back and talk about your business and what you do as a vegetator, but I want to lay the foundation, the groundwork for, for talking about these very important topics. So can you describe for us or define for us what is food apartheid? That is one of my passions, really, because I thought about families and how impactful um, all this is in our community. BIPOC communities, um, and um, especially black and brown communities in the BIPOC diaspora. And it's really easier to talk about what a food desert is and what, so I want to kind of touch on that if you don't mind, Dr. Yami. Is that okay? Go for it. Okay. So so a food desert, it, it's kind of a, mid, when you say food desert, it, it leaves so much off the table, right? So, and it's insulting to the community because it's not a desert. When I think of a desert, I think of a barren wasteland that that doesn't grow nothing grows there it's kind of dry and 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 sad and when you go into a black to our communities it's full of life our communities are full of life and they're naturally full of life and food deserts aren't natural in any way so a food apart so a food desert doesn't really represent the community no one that lives in one thinks it's a food desert they just think that, you know, grocery stores aren't over there and is surrounded by food swamps more so, uh, you know, fast food and, and junk. Um, they have they they're very ha- people are happy in community, you know, because we're, we're, but uh, food apartheid allows us to kind of go over the larger umbrella of the systemic reason why food deserts occur in the first place. Those oppressive and systemic reasons like redlining, um, uh, uh, zoning, zoning practices unfair lending practices. You know, this is how we got to these neighborhoods and these these areas where these these businesses don't want to put a store there. 
because you you oppress an entire you impress entire groups of people based on unfair things and it's systemic and it's and it's so that's really food apartheid allows us allows us to get to the root of the problem and talk about how we got here just like health you can't just do the band-aid you've got to get to what got us here so that we don't get there again so that's what food apartheid really is good at doing getting to the root of the problem of why we have these oppressive systems and dismantling them from the from the base of the problem um, when it comes to these store yeah just putting a grocery store in a neighborhood is not going to make it not a food desert you've got to address a lot of other issues there are tons of other issues related to it yeah no, I love how you helped us differentiate that because it's true. The issues are so foundational and so systemic that it's not just—it's not just okay. This is lacking. It's why? Why is it not there? Why are have the systems been created mm-hmm. so that there's actually? some stores that have these non-compete clauses. So if one leaves, another one can't come in for like 15 years or something ridiculous. I mean, these things that I never even had heard about that was legal. Like, how is that even legal? You know? So, and and Mm -hmm. just like you said too, with the food deserts, how that's unfair to use that terminology. It obviously can be offensive to the people there, but I think it's even worse to say food swamps because it's like, you just think of like this swamp thing, you know, and like, this is just like this yeah, horrible the place thing. to yeah. be. Nobody wants to right. be there. And basically what a food swamp is, it's almost like saying the opposite. Like, yeah, there's food there, but all the food there is horrible and bad for you. And it's going to kill you. And that's what a food swamp means. It's like all the food that you can find there is highly processed, ultra processed, unhealthy. Um, but both food desert and food swamps, those concepts, they're created from the underlying foundation of systemic issues that are affecting this community that we need to address right. in order to help everybody access high quality, nutritious food that they want to access, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and apartheid is a great catch all for that because we all understand what apartheid is. It's about bringing equity. Yes. Apartheid is about equity and sovereignty and, and fairness. So that allows us to bring that word over into the intersection of this food, uh, the food issues that we have in our community. Um, it's not that, again, when you do, a, when they talk about food deserts in general, especially when they go with census tracts and geographies, it's amazing how quickly they change when the neighborhood demographic changes. So it's not a desert when you move other people in. Mm-hmm. So the, it's about ge- census tracts and geographies if you're going to go by the desert. But the second that the geography changes, it's no longer a desert. So then what happens to the people? Yeah. I mean, so we're really talking about community and we're talking about the intersectionality of apartheid and how we treat people in our communities. So important to address that. What are some food justice issues that are very common in communities of color, but that many people don't know about? So just like the one I talked about, the grocery store thing. And I think this happened actually close to my house where there was an Albertsons and they closed down Mm -hmm. in that same building another grocery store can't come in for like 10 or 15 years. There's some kind of non-compete clause, even though they're gone and they've left. So that happens all the time. So that's something that a lot of people don't know about. What are some other things that people may not know about? So I think people aren't clear on um, 
the fact that it's just not about putting a grocery store in the community. Yeah. I think there's this whole push about, oh, let's get grocery stores in there. Okay. If you don't re-educate people on nutrition, communities on nutrition, you can put 10 stores, whole, you can put every top shelf store or all these, whatever store, they're, they're not gonna, the vegetables are going to get left behind because it's seen as secondary. And there's no understanding of a why. Why should I eat the plants? Why should I do that instead of getting the meat? Because these stores, it's not like they're going to be vegan stores, right? So I think there's a misunderstanding about, the, the, it's a big push about access, but there also has to be coupled with education, re-education, because we've been miseducated, I like to say. Um, so it's time to address that. So I think there's a whole idea about just it being about groceries, you know, access to food. There's food at the family, this, this little dollar stores and that can be, but there's, but that's a lot of processed junk in there, but it doesn't matter what you put there. It's still, it's just still the same idea. You've got to re-educate. I think the people, people think too much about the grocery store. It's, it's, that's very important, but it doesn't work without the education. Yeah. It has to be, has to be coupled, go hand in hand. They're together, right? They're together. Well, let me talk about a little bit of a controversial topic that I feel comes up a lot. And, and it's hard to okay. navigate this being somebody that promotes a plant-based diet. I'm, I also consider myself vegan as well. But mm-hmm. one of the yep. arguments that's made again and again, I've seen dietitians make it, food justice advocates say that promoting veganism or plant-based nutrition is elitist and unrealistic because of food access issues. What's your opinion on this? Okay, so I, I respect all those who are out there in the fight that we're in. And I'm also whole food, plant-based and vegan. We're in a weird world to be both because vegans are usually mad at us because we talk about food all the time, health of the food. But, um, but um, I will say to you, uh, I, I, I just respectfully, I, there, it's, it can't be elitist to save $5,000 a year on food. It costs so much to buy meats and dairy, even if you're using um, uh, AFDC or, or food stamps or whatever, even if you're in a WIC program, all these things are much more expensive than plant-based than plants, right? And as far as access, you know, we've got to work on the access piece. There's no doubt about it. But I can go on a cheap shop in Family Dollar. We just need to teach you how to do that. There's brown, there's rice in there. There's um, there's bean, black beans. There's all kind of beans. There's a store full of beans. Now, do they have any fresh produce? No. Um, that is, a, these are problems. But it's not. They're not insurmountable. And then it's not unfair to ask someone to be plant-based. What I've done and worked with communities with is going into these food apartheid communities. And I bring um, uh, vegan farmers, black farmers in, and we do food, you know, farmer's market. Yes. You've got to bring the farmer's market to these communities until you can resolve that issue. And you've got to bring a demo, a cooking demo. And, and don't bring rutabagas and uh, don't bring um, uh, uh, beets and, 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 and rutabagas. Bring food that people already eat, like collard greens. You have to bring some greens. You have to bring some green beans, some greens, some snap peas, sugar snap peas. Just just knowing the community and bringing the right things to the community. So we do. There is a problem, but it's not elitist. It's not a problem of elitism. It's a problem of not of lack of education. We've got to re-educate the communities to say, hey, you can find some things that can sustain you at this these terrible stores, these terrible little convenience stores, while we also work to bring you what you need through um, collaboration with farms and community 
uh, centers because we know you may not have access to the, the two things. But we need to ed- education to me is the most important thing. Yeah. I, I don't I don't believe that it's elitist at all. I, I, I think that um, when you want to buy plant, the, the highly processed products, that's when you lose a lot of money. That's elitist. Yeah, because you're going to find those in the highly processed frozen aisle. And those aren't going to be, they're not going to be at the store, mm-hmm. but I'm, we're not advocating for that. We're advocating for grains and greens and vegetables and fruits and nuts. You can find nuts, beans, legumes of all kinds dried and canned at these terrible stores and rice. Yeah. And um, I, I prefer brown rice. I don't know if there's brown rice in there, but there's rice in there. Yeah. Regular rice is not good, but yeah. So I, I, I don't dis I don't argue with people about it, but it's like, no, it's not elitist. I just focus on education because. It doesn't matter if you put a store there. They're missing the bigger picture. You can put a store there and it's the same problem if you don't educate. Well, I highly respect your opinion because you're in there. So you're working with these communities, but Mm -hmm. you also have this perspective of valuing health and valuing longevity and having an experience within your own family that has empowered you to learn, to gather the evidence and say, okay, what I can control in my life, what I can control for my family is bringing in these foods that are high in fiber and high in antioxidants. This is how I've learned to do it. I have this experience as a chef. This is how I learned to do it. Now I can go into these communities, work with the community, just like you said, meet them where they're at. We already know about collard greens. We already know about green beans. How can we work with the foods of our culture, the foods that we're familiar with, and turn it into something that's health-promoting, nourishing, filling, satisfying, and is going to give us well-being and longevity because everybody wants to feel good, right? We all want to feel good. Right, right, right. How do we do that? So, we just, I mean, it's just a matter of, uh, it's just very grassroots. It's really basic. So instead, you know, um, everything, the, the best things that have ever happened in, in with regard to social change have come from grassroots start, right? And we've got to do a grassroots approach. Community, it's just, it's a long haul. It's community by community. Everyone that we know, especially African-Americans, people of color, have disproportionately lost people um, in, in the same ways that I lost my father and other all the other relatives that are already gone. I'm one of the oldest people in my family and I'm 54. Wow. My mother's still here. She's vegan. But everybody, you know, a lot of our, my father's side of family is already gone, you know, but um, the point is, it's just a long haul. How do we do it? We've got to go in there and do cooking demos, Dr. Yami. We've got to go in. We've got to be intentional about um, um, writing, getting grants, looking at grants. There's plenty of grant money. USDA has a lot of grant money. We're, a lot of us aren't looking at it. We're just kind of ignoring it. You can't do everything for free, but certainly you can get, there's grant, there are grants that, that are available to help communities. They just, the, the people that sell meat are the ones, chicken, and, and they're selling chicken and lean chicken and going in there doing these demos. They're selling those ideas and curriculums to the USDA and submitting grants. And a lot of us plant-based chefs or vegans or vegan people are not doing that. They're ignoring those altogether and they're just complaining. I don't, I'm, I'm an activist person. You've got to take action. And it's got to be grassroots and, and it's got to, and it's a, again, it's a long haul. We've got to find partners. We've got to part, we have to partner with farms. There are a lot of farm, farmers coalitions and black, there's a national black farmers association. There are a lot of different ways to partner. They want to help the community too. We just got to find allies. Like you and I are now allies through Aaron. I mean, 
you just got to work with your allies and make sure and don't feel com- competitive with them. We are all in this together to help people, right? So I just think it's just going to take a lot of work. 100%. I love it. I love how much energy you have and the passion, how proactive you are. So thank you for reminding us about that. Y'all, I am obsessed with this clothing brand called Oofere. I initially saw Tabitha Brown wearing one of their bathing suits on Instagram, and I immediately went to the website and bought myself one. Now I have three of their pieces, actually five technically, considering that I have the cover up for the bathing suit and also the head wrap, and I have two infinity dresses. Their clothing is amazing. So they're actually an award-winning African fashion brand featuring beautiful pieces with vibrant prints and bold patterns, but they make you feel like royalty. I wore one of the infinity dresses for my friend's wedding and I got compliments all night long, but I felt so confident and I just felt so beautiful wearing it. I don't know if you've ever worn an infinity dress, I have never even heard of an infinity dress before, but basically it's a dress that you can style in lots of different ways. So it's like having a hundred dresses in one. You can change it according to your mood or what part of your body you wanna show off. But the bottom line is you're going to feel amazing. So if you want to check out their pieces, it's Oofere, O-F-U-U-R-E. But I have a special code so that you can get 10% off of your first order. Oofere.com forward slash Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I. Okay, so Oofere is O-F-U-U-R-E.com forward slash Dr. Yami. Also, if you go to dryami.com forward slash shop, you can get to the link right there or check out the show notes. I promise you are not going to regret checking out this clothing brand, especially if you love looking like a queen. Recently, a grant writer reached out to me and asked me whether I'd like to submit Mm. a proposal to teach food for life classes. So I've been a food for life instructor for several years, haven't taught since COVID, you know, but the, the grant, the proposal that they had was just beautiful. It was to serve underserved communities and they're partnering with farms and they're going to bring them the food. Mm. And then I would teach the classes. And I was like, this is beautiful. I love it. This is perfect. And so, you know, it's one of those things, like you said, the grant money is out there and you just have to know, this is also somewhere where I recommend partnering with somebody because if you've never written a grant, it's kind of a lot of work (laughs) and you have to know how to do it. But if you have somebody that's experienced, that's done it before, then you can collaborate and find funds so that you can do some of these projects. Well, you know, Dr. Yemi, Dr. Yemi, I have a little point on that. So some of the, so I worked for the city of Charlotte for 12 years before, you know, leaving and moving to Greenville and all that, you know, before I married my husband, all those things. And I worked at neighbor development. One of the things that we did was uh, there are a lot of, they, they help you with grant writing. I wrote grants. I'm a professional grant writer. So I had no problems there and had done that and helped communities do it. But there are so many, those grants, they have people that you can call that will help you through the writing. They won't help you write your curriculum, but they'll help you properly submit the grant so that your scoring will be at least average. And you just have to have a strong program. People had to work on their programming and writing of curriculum. We tend to just say, oh, we've got this great idea. No, curriculum program, time, all these things, budget, all of it matters. So we just have to be very intentional about that. And then grants aren't that hard. Listen, I, I've written $5 million grants. 
I've written $10,000 grants. I've written $5,000 grants, $500 grants. They're all the same. Details. You got to look at the details. You may not want to do that. And if you have residual income, the extra money to go ahead and pay somebody to do it, that's fine. But it's not that hard. It's, it's detail. Your program, unless your program isn't strong. So you've got to build a strong program with the curriculum. I, I'm, I'm, listen, I've taught people in neighborhoods right in, in the area where I am now to do that. Don, you're an amazing resource. I love you so much, but I'll say the, the word <laughs> details, that's where it gets me because I am not detail oriented. Yeah. So immediately when I think of a grant, I'm yeah. like, uh, <laughs> like, oh, yes. Over you well, know, like they're not, 30 pages, they're yeah, like 30 pages where I, you have to have all these details. I'm a big picture person. So I want to give you my idea oh, and you. infuse the passion and then have somebody else write the details. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And that works and that works. But you know, but you already know that. So that's half the battle. Some people go into it, don't even know the grants are out there. There's, there, there are hun- literally hundreds of millions of dollars untapped that are going to organizations that literally go to communities and, and, and promote a healthy world of chicken. Where it was seven, they do it. And, it. and it's not their fault. They're doing that. They don't know any better. Just like I didn't know any better when I was running around being the eco grass-fed lady, selling, going on TV, telling people, showing them how to make Parmesan-crusted chicken when it was horrible for them. So, I mean, it's just a matter of us knowing where to access resources and knowing what you don't know. You already said, Dr. Yemi, you're not, that's not your strong suit. You can save lives and you can do big picture, but that you're not writing that grant, but you know that find, you know, but you have that passion. So people just have to identify and understand what their strengths are and then hire people that can do what they can't do. Yeah. And if you can't afford to do that, then you'll have to spend time. Yeah. Or just partner together, you know, with people that have that strength. Partner. But it's just so important yes. that you're bringing this awareness. This is so, so important because I have, haven't have heard anybody talk about this before. And then I just had that recent experience and I've been part of projects that were funded by grants before. And and it is, the, the money really is out there, but you kind of forget about it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important. Well, I'd love to know yes. what, what other tips you have for what things we can do as regular old people living in the world um, to advocate for food justice in our country. Um, we've got to take them. I was a poli sci major, poli sci, but uh, um, in college, and um, we just had to be. We had to go to our local council meetings. Uh, pol- all politics and policies are made starting at the local level. I go back to the grassroots idea. I mean, yeah, we have federal policies and initiatives and things, but um, red line redistricting, all these things happen at the local level, which has all to do with food apartheid. Um, food justice has all to do with you know pro- stopping systemic things from continuing. So we've got to get to those those council meetings. We've got to get to those planning commission meetings. We've got to get to those community meetings. We don't have to live in the community to go. And and you can't just come one time. People need to know that you really care about the community. So make sure you go to those communities that you as, as, want to help. Don't just show up with your food truck or your or your table and say, hey, I'm helping you today like it's charity. You've got to make people feel welcome like you're not just, people don't want to feel, they don't, everybody doesn't want to hand out, want to hand up. So we've got to make people feel like they want to hand up. So um, it's just coming upon us to just do more of the, um, again, the work of grassroots community, going to the council meetings, going to the community centers, getting to know your the district, uh, the state district representatives. They usually live, they live in the district. They'd have to, to be a house, you know, state representative, the city council people in that district. 
You don't have to live there to know these things. You just care. So and, and get to know the um, the community leaders. There are all there's always some older lady community leader or older man that they can tell you everybody in the neighborhood who needs help. And they're happy that you're there, but they don't want to see you one time. They want to see you more than once. Yeah. So that kind of work will make a big difference. So get involved, get connected, have patience, be in there for the long haul. Yep. It's a, it's a long, it's a, it's a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the foundation of advocacy too, is that you're in there Mm -hmm. and you're doing the work day by day, but yeah, you're right. As far as doing some of this work, you have to get involved. You have to know what's going on at the local level, which can take some time and patience. Uh, Also, I'm not a meeting person. I'm just going to admit that frustrating to me, but (laughs) you have to know that that's how things work, right? That's how policies are made. That's how things are changed with meetings and and lots of meetings. So being part of that is really important. Well, that's why allies, but that's why Dr. Yami, let's say you and I partnered, I would go to the meeting. I love meetings. I'm political science. I love talking and I love meetings. So I'm going to listen, take the notes and I'll just come back and give you debrief. You know, you've got to know who you're, you've got to align, you know, we've got to align ourselves with the people that we can be most effective with in a circle of support. So um, that's not your strength. But I certainly can't fix any kind of, I can't repair a broken leg. I can't diagnose a um, chronic disease. And I can't write a prescription. I mean, there's so and I can't teach what you teach. So we all can help each other and with our balancing the strengths and weaknesses. So I, I think we can get it done. I love it. Oh, that's so such a beautiful message. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy, it's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing and a few days after that, you can start eating them and it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them and they're really happy that you're eating them and your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part because I've told y'all before I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out. You can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass. You can get culinary cilantro or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests, but like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part. And it's actually not that expensive either. The other thing that I use from Hamama is a green onion growing kit, which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste. So you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root, the white part at the bottom, you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows. And then you can keep eating the same green onions. You just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food. So if you wanna give it a try, you've been curious, about my 
microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. I'd like to switch gears here just a little bit. When Mm -hmm. I was doing Mm -hmm. the research recently to give the talk I did on black veganism, I found out that one of the fastest growing segments of the vegan population is actually black women. Yes. Why do you think that is? Because, well, well, you're going to, you already know, because black women are the mothers of civilization. We're the, fa- we're the mothers of civilization. We're always the trendsetters. It looks like men are trendsetting everything, but it's really women and, or some woman behind the scenes trendsetting it. Um, black women are always looking to find a way to nurture and to do something different. Because we, we're the mothers. We want to give kids, family. We want to save the family. And we, we, we're the, uh, the, I think it's just a natural nurture space for us. And we, that just fits with us. I don't see men as, as excited about it as we are. And we do, mo- and you know, we're, we're the household. We kind of take care of the household. So I think it's a natural fit that we'd be the leaders. African-Americans in general, obviously, are the, the fastest group. And women in the, in the community are the fastest. And we need to be. 60% of black women are obese. Half of the African-American women will die of heart disease. Not might. You know, will. This is this is a serious situation. Forty percent of African American men are obese. All that leads to heart disease. You know all this stuff. Um, I think we're just desperately looking for a way to help our our families, and we want to we we want to stop normalizing chronic disease because it's not normal part of aging. It's not. So I think we're getting we're getting to understand that from platforms like yours. Yeah. That's and, part of the reason we're understanding it. Yeah. And I agree. You know, it's just that image of the the mother hen, the caregiver, but also mm-hmm. leadership, taking this role of leadership mm-hmm. as women and saying, you know, I'm going to learn about this. I'm going to try this out and I'm going to spread the message and I'm going to help other people and yep. give them this gift that keeps giving. You know, it's not just you give this, this gift and you open yes. it once and you toss it to the side. This is a gift of well-being. This is the gift of longevity. I mean, it's the most amazing right. gift you could give somebody. And so, yeah, I'm just so yeah, so happy that this is happening and that this evolution is happening and that more women and more women of color are waking up to this message. It's just such a beautiful thing. And Dr. Yemi, if I can add, it's also the message of high quality longevity, not surviving on pills you know, and having, and, you know, having amputations and, and, and hip replacements and these things. And this is a suffering a lot. And, and, you know, this high, this whole thing, it's a lot, it's also the quality of life. I mean, my mother's 76. She's on a tennis court two days, three days a week, running around tennis court. She's on boards. She's still very active. She looks at older people that are in their seventies and she looks at them like, Oh my God. And they say, I'm just getting by. She's like, she does not even deal with people that say that. She is so high. She's always been that way, but she's been vegan for, I think she became vegan a year after I did. It took her a year. I didn't push her. Um, but she's 100% vegan and healthy. And she, and again, the quality of life is so important. Yes. Well, on average in this country, we spend the last 10 to 15 years of our life in disability. So meaning 
you know, wow. you're having problems getting around, you're having difficulties with your day-to-day living and tasks. And I think that most people don't want to live that way. When you think about being in your older years, you're thinking about being with your grandkids, your great grandkids. You're thinking about enjoying, savoring, not being in pain and feeling like you're just ready to go out. And that's happened to me before. I remember, you know, I'm very passionate, obviously, and I love talking about longevity Mm -hmm. and empowering people to feel like they can do this. And I was at the grocery store checking out one day and I mentioned something to the, to the checkout clerk. And I was like, yeah, Something like, don't you want to live till, I don't even know how I worded it, but the look on her face immediately was no, there's no way. I I don't want to live past 70. I'm on, I don't know how many medications, my hip hurts, my knee hurts, I'm depressed. And I was just like, wow, "Wow, I did not expect that. I didn't even know what to say. Um, But it is, there's a lot of people that live in that world and they don't feel empowered. They don't feel like they have any ability to change that. And they are just ready to check out, which breaks my heart. That's the systemic part that it's not just systemic oppression and and communities of color. It's systemic on a market. I mean, the the entire way that food is marketed and the health is marketed. It's like, it it doesn't make you feel like there's a a chance. Yes. The, 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 The larger, the predominant lobby groups are not ones who are promoting health. They're promoting, um, you know, profitability. And it's, and, it's, and it's a capitalist society. I get it. But she has no hope because her mom was sick. Her aunt was sick. Her dad was Alzheimer's. She didn't want She doesn't want to be in a bed and watch people watch her die. Yeah. So that's probably why she feels that way. But that's because she's normalized it. And we've got to make that abnormal. There's nothing normal about dying of a heart disease or Alzheimer's. These are not normal things. These are things that we've normalized because of the way our society embraces nutrition. Mm -hmm. Wow. Don, what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew um, that the, that plate, that little plate, the government plate, my plate thing was a total farce and that um, you can, you know, increase your, you can reduce your risk factors of chronic disease on a plant-based lifestyle. I just wish I could get people to know that you can make a difference in the lives of your children and you can make a difference in the generations to come by just making a little bit of a change. You can save money. I just wish people knew what we knew, Dr. Yami. Yeah. I mean, we didn't start, I don't know that you, I didn't start off vegan. I mean, it was again, 2017 um, for me. Um, but I'm saving, helping I'm, my, my footprint is smaller. For, for my grandchildren to come. I don't have grandchildren yet. My, my, my carbon footprint is smaller. I'm not taking a part of a system that um, it harms the environment, animals, and the planet, and, and people. I'm not a part of that system. And I'm a part of the system for positive change. And I want more people to know that they can be a part of that too. So beautiful. Well, tell me more about this vegetation. And when did you start doing this? Ah, were, you, were you active in teaching and educating even before you were vegan or was that something that took off after you made your transition unfortunately i was doing that before when i was selling uh the the carcasses and 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 corpse animals it was terrible i was teaching people how to make what i thought was healthier food urban eats name was still urban eats and i was selling uh these demos cooking cooking classes i wasn't doing demos i was doing cooking classes 
I was doing demos on TV and I would go to corporate groups and teach them how to make stuff and show stuff. And yeah, I just flipped the whole thing around. So that's how it kind of started. Um, it started when I was in the um, omnivore world. Uh, but I, I just, when I made, flipped the switch um, and I began to hone, I decided to do the cookbook because it, I had to learn so much about food. Then I started about meal prep. I became much more um, learned about the vast variety of plant-based foods. So that just made motivated me to write a cookbook and do more demos. And I do more public speaking now. I go and do, you know, conferences and do, you know, talks about, I especially focus on, you know, uh, BIPOC communities and how to transition those communities. Um, but um, that's kind of what Urban East does. We do ed summit, we do health summits um, where it's clinical and culinary because you can't have, it's just like community, you can't have one without the other. You can't go in there and do a veg fest and then not have a doctor or some medical professional there to talk about the, the benefits of the lifestyle because people won't come away with a why. They'll just eat the food, have fun that day and leave. Mm -hmm. And that is not how you get people to have a sustained, sustainable change. So I love bringing um, clinicians together with the culinary side and making that work for the audience, just if it does nothing more than feed them a bit of information. Um, I have one coming up April 30th in Greenville and Ed Summit. Um, but all this, uh, we do coaching, um, Urban East does coaching, vegetation, demos, all things having to do with um, radicalizing wellness. I love it. So great. I want to know, you, you mentioned earlier mushrooms, and that's one of my favorites too, but I would love to know some of your yeah, favorite yeah. go-to foods that you like to eat commonly. That I like to eat or make, so... Like that you eat. like to eat. Oh, what God, are you so, eating, Don? That's <laughs> yummy. Oh my gosh. Is that, it's such a loaded question. You can ask me. I have a whole cookbook. Oh my God. Now my second one's coming out. I have like thousands of recipes. Um, I, I like eating. Um, I just like a balanced plate. I like color. I like texture. So if I have some purple cabbage slaw, um, alongside, I like edamame salad. It's crunchy and gives me good flavor. Um, when you dress it properly, I like, um, Gosh, so quinoa, I like Buddha bowls. I like sweet potatoes roasted. I cut them in half and it cuts half the cooking time. I like uh, sweet potatoes. I like butternut squash. I love every vegetable, almost every one. I'm not a big beets fan though. Can I tell you? Beets are like weird. Even I've roasted them. I just never love beets. I love all greens. I mean, there's no plate that I that I that has good seed this properly seasoned and, to, and properly prepared. I can't stand veiny collard greens. Don't give me big stocky stems. It makes me feel like you didn't properly clean them. But I'm a little picky, but I love, I, I, I have no favorite. I mean, I'm making bok choy tonight, stir fry bok choy. I love mm -hmm. farro salad. I love farro. Anything with this high nutrient, low calorie, but flavorful, I'm in. And when I want to treat, I do the oyster mushroom thing now. Yeah. I'll, I'll cook the oyster mushrooms up. I'll do them in a, sometimes I'll do them in the air fryer to be a little more friendly, but sometimes I just coat them wet batter, dry batter, back to wet batter, and I, Throw them in the, in the little oil, but that might be once a month. I don't do that a lot. Yeah, um, oh, but I so do delicious, love I, when I go to red. It's hard to yeah. It's oh, it's very delicious because you have all the texture and the flavor. And of course, if you know how to use the flavor, I love. Um, I love foods that just food that tastes good. I love ethnically diverse foods. I love chickpeas. I love a lot of curries, a lot of stews and stoops. Um, and I'm full so fast, like you, Doctor Yami. You get so full. Uh, because the fiber just fills up your um, your your stomach, mm -hmm. so it's just it's just 
no end to the amount of food you could have. I, I can't, I can't give you one. I'm just making running around circles telling you I can't give you one. Basically, I had too you're, many. Just, you're just making us hungry and making our mouths water, which is fine. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly, exactly, exactly. All right. So we were talking about grants earlier, but you are now connected to Queen B. So tell me how you were awarded this grant from Beyonce's foundation. Yeah. See, there we go. So her Beyonce's foundation, the Be Good Foundation, was looking to support community during COVID, and that's why you have to be on the lookout for grants. And there was a grant uh, um, called the Be Economic Impact award and it was ten thousand dollars and um i submit i was sitting in my car i was like oh gosh the deadline is today or i think the day before i, I normally am on it but i had a lot of presentations and i was busy i for a week and then i was like oh my god i'm gonna lose this time because you don't always find it 40 days in advance sometimes you find it that week you have to have a curriculum that's why you have to have your stuff so you can always just roll it out so um i got it in two hours i sat in the car did the grant application um did a video uh, pulled the video that I already had in content, put that on, and and I got a call. I got an email like two o'clock in the morning. It, it was obviously another coast, you know. I got an email like whatever time I saw it in the morning, and it said that I won. I was I was a recipient of this grant. I heard round three grant recipient, and I was like, did I did this? And I had to wake up my husband. I was like, Anthony, just say I won, because because I, I I can get other grants. They're they're different. They're scoring. I like, but I just win the Beyonce grant. Did I win that one? Um. And then I got to know that they were very moved by what we were doing in community and they keep up the good work. That There was a personal um, little blurb about that. I was very excited. And then the next, I didn't have time to really post it because it took off on its own by eight o'clock that morning. So that really uh, was helpful. And I was very appreciative that Beyonce, uh, people say a lot about celebrities and they don't do stuff. I mean, she didn't want anything for it. She didn't publicize it. It got publicized through Veg News and others live kindly. She did not publicize it herself. She wasn't looking for that. She just wanted to help. And the check came in the mail. And it was through Hello Alice, which is NAACP's um, grant source funding. And there are a lot of grants that, that are there at Hello Alice. And I'm on that system. And they sent the check. And it was that. That's amazing. Congrats. Yeah, it was so cool. I was like, oh my God, Beyonce said, that was cool. I should not cast this check. It wasn't an actual check. It was like funds transfer. Right, but right. But still. I, the ID, the, the letter I cast, I was like, I was like, this is the Be Good Foundation. I wonder if Beyonce like looks at my stuff and just doesn't hit like because she can't do that. I wonder if she's looking because I do a lot of food on my Instagram. So I was just excited about it. And um, I wish I could have thanked her personally. But thank you, Beyonce. If you ever watching, watch Dr. Yemi and I, we'll be happy to come visit you and teachers and stuff anytime literally like right now if you anytime. want anytime <laughs> we'll stop yeah we'll go i will we're drop ready. everything we're ready for you. <laughs> yes. oh we're that's so amazing we <laughs> yes. well don tell yeah. us how listeners can connect with you and you have told us a, l- a little bit about some of the services that you offer but how can my listeners find you and find out more about your services uh, they can just go to herban-eats.com, H-E-R-B-A-N-Eats.com. That's the company website. And on there, there's information about the Ed Summits, the town town halls. And I have to get you involved, Dr. Yemi, in this. The town, I'll talk about that after. Um, uh, urban-eats.com. I'm on Instagram. My handle is herban underscore eats, H-E-R-B-A-N. It's a play on urban and herbs, fresh herbs. Love it. Um, and um, 
And then on Facebook, Dawn Hilton Williams or Urban, e- Urban Herban Eats and the YouTube, Urban Eats. Um, just find me. And all the services are there. You can get my cookbook there. You can go to Amazon and get Flavor My Plate, your tasty vegan guide to health wealth. You'll find me. Just type it in, Dawn Hilton Williams, The Veducator. I love it. The Vegucator. Yes. And we'll make sure we put all of those links in the show notes so that everybody can access it very easily. We appreciate you so much. Like I said, I'm just so grateful that I met you, that we got connected. And then I have your amazing resources, your brain, all the talents that you have. But before you go, if you can leave us with your number one tip for busy moms, especially women of color, Mm. as they navigate feeding their families, what would be one thing that you would tell them? Shopping, you gotta shop on one day and prep the same day. You gotta chop, shop and chop. I just call it shop and chop. Go to the store on Sunday, shop and, and, and chop. Because if you do that, your whole week is made. I'm telling you ladies, your whole week is made. Because all you have to do now is put in the pan or in the oven and it takes 20 minutes. But if you don't shop and chop, you're going to be stressed. And we don't want stress because that also leads to, that it leads to chronic disease. So don't do that. Shop and chop. I love that. It's a tongue twister a little bit. I have to concentrate shop yeah. and chop shop, shop and, and chop yeah <laughs> that's beautiful you got it you and, got and that's it. so yep, true yep. i talk about once you get into that habit of food prepping and batch cooking at the beginning it feels overwhelming and like it's going to be a lot of work but as you go about your week you realize that your week is less stressful so if you just take that one day oh, yeah. to get it done it pays off. It pays forward, right? So get the work. In. And then, oh, yeah. and then the more habituated you become to doing that prepping, it's not a big deal. You put, you put this podcast on everybody. You're listening to me while you're prepping. You can listen to Dawn's stuff yes. that she has, you know, and you learn yes. while you do yes. your cooking and it's not a big deal. It ends up being really fun and relaxing actually. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just a matter of just managing. I mean, you manage time. Women have busy schedules. We are like super women. We are superheroes, honestly. And what we do is amazing. No man can do what women have done in society. And I'm not dissing men because I, I, I love men. Men are great. But women carry an extra burden of also having to take care of the family. And literally this saves us time. Mm-hmm. It literally, just like we manage at work and we can manage teams and we can manage staff and we can manage the household. It's so very easy to also manage that shop and shop. It's going to, it saves you time. And that's what we want. We want to save time so we can spend it with our families. That's beautiful. I will definitely quote you on that one because that's a good one to remember. Don Hilton Williams, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your energy, for your passion. Thank you for being on Veggie Doctor Radio. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. Hope to come back soon. Hope to meet you soon. Yes, for sure. What a treat to get to meet and converse with Don Hilton Williams. She is an amazing resource and just has so much knowledge and experience. And so I am so glad that we got to meet her on this episode. But some of the takeaways I have is that we all need to be aware of these food justice issues. We need to be aware of food apartheid and realize that a lot of the issues that communities of color, that under-resourced communities are experiencing are systemic. And we can start by getting involved. So get involved in these communities 
at the local level, at the political level, but also by educating. So if you have the passion, the abilities to start teaching the people around you, the communities around you, how to use plants for their health and well-being, then you're being an advocate. So get in there, get involved, get to know these communities and be a food justice advocate. The other takeaway I got from Dawn is there is a lot of grant money out there. So if you are an educator, a teacher, you're doing some of these programs and you have not tapped into the grant money, then start looking around for these grants because just like Dawn said, somebody has to be given these grants. Once these organizations to give a certain amount of grant money away, they're going to find people to give it away to. And if you're not in there putting in your proposal, then other people are going to get it anyway. And some of the people that are gonna get it might be teaching stuff that may not be as health promoting as we in the plant-based community feel like it could be. So that's the other takeaway I got, but excellent episode. I love the shop and chop. That is a great thing. Also, I remember learning from Tammy, don't work harder, work smarter. I think that goes along with the shop and chop too. So pick a day, go get your groceries, get everything prepped, and your week is going to go so much smoother. And remember, you have to practice this skill. It's one of those things that it doesn't become a habit like in two seconds. You have to do it week after week after week, tweak it, find ways to make it easier for yourself. You might have to change the day that you do it. Find the way that works, but once you get into that habit, you're going to see how much better it makes your week go. All right, veggie lovers, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me and I will see you next week. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I wanna share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.